loving sairam and greetings from prashanti nilayam i am going to spring a surprise today because in this and some of the talks that would follow in subsequent weeks i intend to say something about the vedas on the face of it this is an atrocious proposition considering that i cannot chant even a few hymns from the vedas yet despite this ignorance the vedas hold such a fascination for me that i cannot restrain myself from speaking about them you might ask how can you talk about the vedas when you know so little well that's a good question but my reply is that though i know little about the technical aspects i have been privileged to have a ringside view of some aspects and it is on that i am largely going to base these talks my earliest recollection of something to do with the vedas goes back to about 1940 or so maybe even a couple of years earlier at that time i occasionally paid a visit to a small town named manamadurai about 40 kilometers to the southeast of the famous temple city of madurai manamadurai is in ramnad district of tamil nadu and is on the route from madurai to rameswaram on the southeast coast of india just to remind you according to our legends it is from rameswaram that rama launched his invasion of lanka Rameswaram is thus a popular pilgrim center. The British when they ruled India laid a rail track from Madras to Dhanushkodi just beyond Rameswaram. Every day a train named boat mail would go from Madras to Dhanushkodi and also back from Dhanushkodi to Madras. This train would pass through Manamadurai and the passage of the boat mail used to be the big event there every day the train would cross the river vaigai across a bridge and lots of people would gather on the river sands just to catch a glimpse of the train as it went by i have done it too by the way this train was called boat mail because it would carry mail from england meant for madras that came via colombo In those days the big ships from England would sail direct to Colombo instead of to Madras. The mail would be unloaded in Colombo and sent by train to a place in northern Ceylon as Sri Lanka used to be called in those days. From there a boat would carry the mail to Dhanushkodi in India where the mail would be transferred to the boat mail bound for Madras. Mail from Madras to England would follow the reverse route. Now why am I mentioning all this in a talk supposed to be on the Vedas just to say something about Manamadurai and a Vedic school there This school was about two doors away from the ancestral home of my father's family and in this house stayed two of my father's elder brothers I have gone there a few times and invariably i used to be fascinated by the non-stop chants coming from two doors away this vedic school or vedapatasala as it is technically known 
was apparently in existence for many many decades having been founded by a wealthy chettiar family for the record i should mention that the chettiars belong to the trading community and in those days trade and commerce took them to burma malaya singapore and even places like laos and cambodia the chettiars were generally prosperous and in keeping with the traditions of those times spent a good part of their wealth in charitable activities for example many of them endowed a lot of money for temples others built chowtries or rest houses for pilgrims visiting holy shrines like rameshwaram or tirupati or benares yet others established veda patasalas like the one i mentioned a short while ago the veda patasala was essentially a vedic school which brahmin boys often from somewhat poor families entered when they were young around the age of 5 or 7 after going through the upanayanam ceremony many of you might have seen mass upanayanam ceremony performed by swami from time to time well what exactly is this ceremony and what is its significance i shall make a few remarks on this here and maybe come back to this theme later on for an in-depth exploration to understand what this ceremony is all about we must go back to the vedic age which means a few thousand years back in time in those times a boy born in a brahmin family was allowed to roam like a child without any restrictions till the age of 5 on reaching that age there was a change of gear and the upanayanam ceremony signaled this gear change the ceremony was essentially an initiation into a disciplined life with strong emphasis on sense and mind control and focus on god one might wonder why all this was it not a severe infliction on a 5 year old well that is the way we would think based on today's environment but 5000 and odd years ago life was different and brahmins had the duty of sustaining and spreading spiritual knowledge in practical terms it was the brahmins who advised one and all including kings on matters relating to dharma and the observance of various rituals prescribed in the scriptures the responsibility assigned to brahmins was onerous and the training for the job had to begin early by the way in later talks i shall have much to say about many of these rituals and the vedic mantras chanted on those occasions okay let me get back to the upanayanam business the high point of the ceremony is what is called brahmopadesam and it consists in the father whispering the sacred gayatri mantra into the ear of the young boy i am sure you all know about the gayatri mantra especially since swami has spoken about it so many times maybe i shall come back to it later right now i am mentioning the gayatri mantra just by way of saying that once the boy hears it he is supposed to be born again this time spiritually childhood period is over 
and as a, as a result of this new spiritual birth, his life now takes a different turn. I might in passing mention that the Jews have an initiation ceremony called Bar Mitzvah and I believe the Parsi community too has an initiation ceremony but I forget the name of that right now. The details and even the objectives of these initiation ceremonies might not quite be the same as the Upanayanam ceremony but we might keep in mind the fact that many ancient societies did have a ceremony to mark the transition from childhood to boyhood. A boy who has undergone the Upanayanam ceremony is called a Brahmachari. There is a mistaken notion that a Brahmachari means a bachelor. Yes, at the practical level, a Brahmachari is unmarried, no doubt. But as Swami has pointed out, the word Brahmachari means much more and has nothing really to do with marital status. According to Swami, a true Brahmachari is one whose mind is totally focused on Brahman or God. This brings me back to the Veda Patasala. In ancient times, the Brahmachari went to a guru and spent many years in residence in his ashram, learning the Vedas and leading a disciplined life as enjoined in the scriptures. After completing the studies, which took many years, the Brahmachari would take respectful leave of the Guru and enter life. He would then get married and serve society in every way possible, especially by guiding people of various communities who were not versed in the scriptures on their duties in life. I have already made a brief reference to this a short while ago. Life has changed with the passing of time and by the 19th century, most Brahmins in India were engaged in tasks other than the propagation of scriptural knowledge. Many became prosperous landlords, wholly preoccupied in supervising agricultural activities on their farms. And when Western-style schools and colleges were established by the British, many Brahmins happily embraced Western education especially as it gave them an opportunity to enter professional life as an administrator in the government, as a lawyer, as a teacher, as a doctor, and so on. As a result of all such sociological forces, it became increasingly necessary to establish Vedic schools where priests could be trained Please do not think that Vedic schools came into existence only because of the developments I have just mentioned. In fact, they existed even earlier, mainly to give Brahmin boys a serious exposure to the Vedas. But sociological changes made it more imperative than ever to have schools that would train people to become priests. To get back to Manamudra in the Vedapatsala there, I did not pay much attention to it but its presence did register somewhere in my memory and it was only years later that I appreciated the role this and other such patasalas played. For the record, I must also mention that sometime in the 50s, Swami established a Veda patasala here in Prashantinilayam. 
it was managed by late kamavadani a vedic scholar par excellence he lived to the ripe old age of 100 and i have heard swami speak many times about him most affectionately i have also had the privilege of seeing him a few times in his later years swami established the veda patasala not for training priests but to expose the students to the importance of the vedas and understanding the need to preserve the vedas incidentally there were no restrictions and anyone who had a serious interest in the vedas and a keenness to learn it was admitted into swami's veda patasala to put it differently it was not a case of brahmins only it is thanks to the pioneering effort of late sri kamavadani that we see so many students effortlessly chanting various portions of the vedas almost every day during darshan both in the morning and in the evening let me now cut back to the year 1947 that was when on the insistence of my grandmother my father performed the upanayanam ceremony for me it was a four day affair celebrated in the best of traditions in a small village in south india very much given to tradition there were many things associated with the ceremony that i positively detested but then i had no choice i just had to obey many restrictions were placed on me that made me very angry at that time but there was precious little i could do except to comply one thing i realized then was that having undergone the upanayanam ceremony i was now required to perform a ritual called sandhya vandanam three times a day once in the morning once in the afternoon and once more in the evening among other things as a part of this ritual i had to chant the gayatri 32 times my mother was very strict and would wouldn't would not give me food unless i had completed sandhya vandanam this would drive me mad but i had no choice strangely i did not think of cheating i don't know why i suppose it was all divine grace though with great reluctance i somehow pushed myself every day to chant all the mantras which i had sort of got by heart I mention all this for a variety of reasons. The first is that I did not know then that the mantras I was reluctantly chanting were all from the Vedas. Secondly, no one took the trouble to explain to me what these mantras were all about. Perhaps if I had understood the inner significance, I might have accepted it all in a better spirit. I shall come back to the Sandhya Vandanam business later, but right now let me just quote one sentence from that ritual. Because it is so profound that sentence is akashat patitam toyam yada gachati sagaram sarvadeva namaskarah kesavam pradigachati roughly it means just as the all the water that comes down from the sky eventually finds its way to the ocean all the prayers that i know offer to the various deities would eventually be received by kesava the supreme lord what a profound thought that is the beauty of the vedas superficially they might all be about rituals some of which might in this day and age appear not only irrelevant but also objectionable 
However, when one goes deeper, it is an entirely different matter. One cannot then but admire those ancients for the profundity of their wisdom. All this I shall discuss in detail later. By the way, I think it is appropriate to mention that Swami often quotes the last part of the mantra I just referred to. Swami says, Sarvajiva namaskaram kesavam pradigachati. Sarvajiva tiraskaram kesavam pradigachati. It means, all the salutations we offer to fellow human beings ultimately reach the Lord. If instead of salutations we hurl abuse at our fellow human beings, they also eventually reach only the Lord. So, says Swami, we had better be careful about abusing others. We may think we are abusing so and so, but in reality, it is God who is being abused. We wouldn't want to do that, would we? Well, for the present, maybe I shall stop here for today and let you enjoy the sonorous sound of Vedic chanting for a few minutes before this program comes to a close. Next time, I shall take you a little deeper into the Vedas and their significance.